we had a winner, we lose. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm under uh, no illusions about that. And I understand that the responsibility is on my shoulders as the CEO of the company, as a founder of the company, our success, essentially the responsibility of whether we win or lose in this comes down to me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's relatively serious. <laughs> the Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. The saying goes that data is the new oil. We've always had it, but modern technology is allowing us to exploit it in ways we've never seen before. And that extends to the sporting world too. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs learning what put them into their fields. I'm Ty Genreich and today I'm talking to Stephen Smith, who started his career treating sports injuries and now he uses players' data to avoid them. Why was Jamie Heaslip tried his career so robust? And then why do you look at somebody like Luke Fitzgerald, who actually, you know, looked very, very different? And the reason for that is that not that one of them is strong and one of them is weak. Basically, they're different. They're the types of tools that we're trying to build to actually understand those differences. Stephen established Kitman Labs in 2012, applying cutting-edge technology to analyze how athletes move and help them avoid mishaps. In professional leagues, injuries cost a lot of money when highly paid players are taken out of action. Dozens of clubs are now using Kitman's kit to minimize that risk in Ireland, the UK and the USA, where the company is now based. Going across to America and like working with the New York Yankees, like that is a logo that is recognizable, you know, everywhere across the planet and hugely exciting for us. And might sports be just the beginning? Stephen sees a future in which Kitman's technology is applied to other walks of life. We want to go and transform the way that people think about improving performance, improving health, and we want to take that to a, a far wider scale. So we're, we're investing in people, we're investing in technology. So listen, take me back to the very beginning. Um, did you ever think you're going to be a tech entrepreneur? Or are you a tech entrepreneur? Are you a sports uh, entrepreneur? <laughs> I'm, I am a tech entrepreneur. I am a tech entrepreneur now. Um, no is the answer. I never thought that I would be a tech entrepreneur. But now looking at what I do now, would I do anything else? Or, you know, or would I, would I do it again after this? Or, you know, I think absolutely like this is an industry that I have a huge passion for now and uh, is extremely exciting. But sport is where your roots were. And you were kind of tussling with whether to go into the corporate world or remain trying to be a sports professional. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, uh, if we go, if we like rewind all the way back to school, um, I, I was kind of contemplating whether to go and be an accountant and, and do the same thing as my dad and go and work with him or whether I should go and actually follow my dream and, and go and work in sport and, was, and sport and health, the intersection of both, which was always, always my interest and passion. And um, I decided to yeah to give it a blast and, and go and have a look at sport and see what was there, despite the fact that my dad told me that there was no jobs in sport and it was a waste of time. Um, so yeah, went on my journey in sport and, and uh, I suppose haven't, luckily haven't looked back. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, didn't you, by saying that that was your interest and that was your passion. And if you are interested and passionate about it, you're more likely to, to cut through, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I it's funny now because when I look back on being in college, and I was actually with a college friend last night, um, and both of us ended up working in professional sport, and when we looked to our class, I think out of the, the rest of the group that was in our class, nobody ended up working in professional sport. And if you looked at the rankings from like, um, I suppose, a, a 
an examination perspective, we probably were in the top two. When I say probably, we definitely were in the top two. Um, so I think it's it's funny, and I think if you ask the lecturers at the time who out of that class would have went on to do, you know, to be in those roles in, in, later in life, it definitely wouldn't have been us that they picked. Your dad thought you were mad, but I guess you know, contrast your generation with his and sport wasn't as much of a profession back then. I mean, rugby wasn't even probably a professional sport when when he was kind of making his life decisions. Oh yeah, so it certainly wasn't professional sport back then. And there was very little professional sport, I think, globally back then. But when I was, I suppose when I was making those decisions, it was. And, you know, professional soccer was, had become such a big thing and, you know, professional sport all over the globe was huge. But I think it was still hard for people from traditional business backgrounds to look at sport and see there was a huge opportunity there. So you were working in, in, in rehab, isn't that right? Yeah, talk, so talk to me about the kind of work you were doing. I, I actually sat on, on the intersection between the strength and conditioning department and the medical department within Leinster. So um, my specialization um, essentially was in return to play rehabilitation um, and injury prevention. So I essentially took all of the injured players from when, when they got injured and basically did every piece of work with them until we put them back on the field and then I also managed all aspects of injury prevention for the for the organization too so I would look at what types of injuries are occurring how can we you know put in best practice training methodology to essentially ensure that we kind of prevent uh, from getting those uh, or those occur- those occurring um, so when you talk about looking at the injuries that were happening or the kind of the profile of injuries is that essentially like you're doing an analog version of, of what you're now doing Digitally, is that a fair yeah, kind of characterization? We, we would just profile out though at the time, okay, well, we've had a spate of knee injuries or hamstring injuries or things like that. And then we would go and do some research and see what, you know, medical research or literature suggested are the best preventative methodologies to actually f- for these types of injuries. And then we would go and actually put those protocols into place and actually train the athletes using those. Okay. Um, so it was kind of like what we were doing today or it was a very early version of what we're doing today as a company just explain then for, for our listeners what it is that kitman does because i'm sure you've been asked <laughs> to give this explanation uh, a million times but it's a uh, you know it's pretty techy pretty in-depth well, what's your version of it yeah so we we provide analytical software that help teams to understand how to improve performance and how to improve health which i know sounds uh, it's, it's uh, certainly an oversimplification but um Everything that we do and all of the tools that we build either help teams to understand how do they actually get their athletes, get more of their athletes, get them to improve what they actually do on the field or in competition. And then how do they actually change how they manage their athletes day to day to keep them healthier and avoid unnecessary injury. We do not build black box algorithms where we have a secret formula internally that solves this problem. We're a scientific company. We build research tools. So what we do is we basically build tools to take all of the data teams are collecting and relate them directly back with actual injury events so it's not our opinion it's not an an opinionated modeling technique it basically takes all your data links it back and tells you what happened and you can go and change your practice based off that are there some people thinking it takes kind of the the magic or the romance out of sport that suddenly performance has been improved not by you know putting in the hard yards by putting in the the time on, on on screens and tablets i actually think it's the complete opposite i actually think this brings the romantic side back to sport because the last thing teams want is for their team to lose games because they have you know they don't have their best star athletes on the field so like if you look at spurs over the last two to three years they absolutely should have a premiership title they should, like they just absolutely should have one, and they haven't because they've missed key players over the last number of years. That could have been the difference between winning one extra game and actually allowing them to lift the Premier League. And I think that's a shame. 
So that's the kind of the, the, the top level explanation. Yeah. What about what it means for the teams on the ground? What are you actually doing for them? Yeah, so we, we provide a, a number of different tools. So tools to collect and ingest all of the data that they're collecting today. So they collect everything from like how the athletes move to how the athletes have slept to, you know, everything that they do on the field, to their heart rate data, to psychological information, to, you know, all Psychological information. Mm, what yeah. kind of stuff are you looking at there? All sorts. They're looking at like uh, the mood state of the athletes, stress level of the athletes, like energy levels, freshness, like there, you know, there's a, a huge amount of psychological tools that historically would be used in sport quite, quite frequently. And uh, we have digitized many of those different types of methodologies. And then they actually collect and collate that data from the athletes. I've seen some of your promo- promotional videos and it all looks very kind of Hollywood and like SF- <laughs> SFXE where you got all these cameras kind of monitoring movements. And that's, that's, that's the kind of the, how it works. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of it. I mean, listen, uh, the, the overall concept of what we're trying to do is to understand the demands that you place on human beings so all of the activities that we actually perform and then how they're actually responding so it's not just about how they move it's not just about how they slept it's not just about how many tackles they made in the game it's not just how many you know many reps they performed at a gym it's absolutely everything so we're trying to encompass all aspects of what actually happens with a human being and then understand how are they responding and does it work yeah, it absolutely works. <laughs> Thankfully, it works. Give we wouldn't be sitting proof. here. Come on, give us some proof. Yeah, I mean, listen, we, we, I think over the last year, we've had 10 teams across eight different sports who've all had more than a 50% reduction in days lost to injuries. That's pretty phenomenal. We had an NFL team that had more than 1,000 days less lost days last year. And if you look across what's happening in the NFL from an injury perspective, most other teams are going like this. And these guys more than cut their days in half. Um, and we're seeing that that's not just in that scenario. We're seeing it in AFL. We're seeing it in rugby league. We're seeing it in rugby union. We're seeing it in, uh, you know, in football and soccer. Um, it's, you know, it, it absolutely works. So, I mean, your roots are in rugby, but now your technology has been applied to all kinds of sports. I mean, what's it like to take it from rugby to different codes and, and different leagues? Yeah, it's like it's 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 really exciting getting to see the technology being used so widely and across multiples of different sports. Sports I had no idea about years ago, but um, you know brands as well that that are you know recognisable across the planet. Like I mean, obviously working home here and working with Ireland and Leinster and Munster is you know is huge, and then having teams in the UK like you know Saracens and Bath and Gloucester and and um, Harlequins teams like that are are huge for us to be involved in but then going across to America and like working with the New York Yankees like that is a logo that is recognizable you know you know everywhere across the planet and hugely exciting for us and you know teams like the Buffalo Bills teams like the you know the San Jose Sharks um you know the LA Galaxy like th- these are uh you know renowned across the planet and then getting down to Australia and, and being able to work you know we work across the NRL we work with Port Adelaide in the AFL um you know our our technology is now in 29 different languages we work with a team in Japan called the Toyota Verblitz um you know we work with uh, Hammerby in Sweden um you know we just signed up a couple of German clients like that's it's amazing for us to see it being used on a global scale. And are there different things you have to do for, you know, the American teams, the American football teams, as opposed to uh, Leinster or Munster? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the thing about it is sports science is, is very much on a, a different scale within Europe and Australasia than it is in the US. And most people think because there's more money involved in the US sports that actually it's way advanced. Actually, it's not. It's the opposite in that they've had a lot of money, so they spend a lot of money on talent. But actually, this sports science and analytics stuff, this like trying to get these small efficiencies out of your team, that actually originated in Europe and Australia because we didn't have the money. 
So we had to be more efficient and, and scrutinize what we were doing more. So within the US model, there's the, there's a lot less appetite for um, for anything that's difficult or challenging. It's got to be really simple and super easy for them to actually harness. Whereas in Europe, we don't mind actually rolling our sleeves up and actually doing a hell of a lot more groundwork. And our athletes, from a cultural perspective, they don't mal- they don't mind actually doing more. Whereas the athletes in the US, like they don't suffer fools lightly. And if the technology doesn't work and do what it's supposed to do, then it's over. And it's a serious money saving exercise, isn't it? Because I guess if you've got an expensive player and he's got a few weeks or months off, that's a lot of money down the pan. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, the average NFL team, I believe, last last year spent something like $27 million on injured player salaries in one season. Average team. That the, is, the average, each individual team. Yeah. That's so, a lot of money to... That's a lot of money. If you can help them, uh, you know, if you can help them to reduce that cost by 20%, that, that is a phenomenal amount of money that you can save them. And outside of the money, we've actually done some research showcasing that there's a direct relationship between the amount of talent you put on the field, essentially, so the amount of contract value that you put on the field and your ability to win games. Um, so if you can actually put more money back on the field, it's not just that you're actually saving the money, it's actually the fact that they're winning more games. So when it comes to talking to, to different teams, different sports, what are the first things they come looking for from you in terms of, of data, be it rugby or football or, or hurling? Um, yeah, I think, listen, over, over here in Europe, um, there's a very holistic approach. They're collecting enormous amounts of data about all aspects of the athlete. Whereas when you, you know, so they, they want to know, okay, well, has that person done too much running? Have, you know, has their sleep impacted them today? Has the fact that they've arrived, arrived to, you know, to work in a bad mood after having a, an argument with their wife, how is that actually going to affect them today? And what do we need to do differently based on that? And in the US, they're a lot more focused just on the hard numbers. So the subjective side and actually having that, you know, relationship with the athlete and what they're telling you about how they're feeling and responding is discounted a lot more. And... I think that's probably due, due to the fact that it's even more professional. There's a hell of a lot more money involved. It's like it's your job, you show up, you do it. But it's also that the playing schedule. So like if you take, you know, the the NBA or the NHL, for example, those guys are playing three to four times a week. Like that is, that's pretty intense. So it's all about tracking the game stats. What have they done in game? Because they don't really practice, don't really train. Yeah, and they don't have time to have a, a row with the other half. Yeah, well, they're, they're on the road. So they're, they're gone, they're on the road. Like they're not having a row with anybody. They're literally just like getting off the court. They're going to bed, they're sleeping, they're getting on the plane. So it's all about, okay, well, what have they actually done on the court? And then how can we actually change things in the training room to actually, you know, compensate for that and ensure that they can get back out and play again tonight and they can go and take a five-hour flight and they can get out on the court again tomorrow night uh, and that's that's very different the the week-to-week nature of of european sports means that it's very different in terms of how the data actually gets managed the amount of time that you actually have to go and manipulate things with athletes and actually work with them whereas with their schedule it is like it is full-on so looking at the data as you do for all these different athletes have there been any kind of standouts being that that guy or girl is not human, surely. They can't withstand that. Yeah, listen, I, I, there's there's obviously lots and for very different reasons. But, you know, there's there's people like um, Devin Toner who, you know, people within the Leinster and Ireland setup will laugh at because he's not the strongest guy, you know, from a, a gym perspective. But he is the most durable and resilient, one of the most durable and resilient players I've ever seen. Like the guy never misses a training session, never misses a game. He's been going for more than 10 years. And he's never had a single thing wrong with him. He just does not get injured. He's, it's impossible to break him. And then on the opposite side, we have people 
people like Keen Healy. Like Keen Healy is an absolute freak. Like Keen Healy would go and take four or five weeks off in the summertime and years ago when he would like um you know, he probably wouldn't look after himself as well as he does now. He's a lot more mature now, but when he was younger, he would go and enjoy himself on his time off. And he would come back in first day of preseason, he would literally, you know, fill up the, the barbells. You couldn't fit any more plates on. In fact, we had to get elastic bands to hold the plates on because he couldn't even fit a clip on. And he would like squat that like ten times and like and he looked like he was going to jump it. And he'd be twice as strong easily as like other players and he he wouldn't even have to work for it like that. Quite a literal tank. Like he is a freak. And even today he's still that strong. He's still that powerful. Like his you know, for his sprint times for like a, a prop, like he is close enough to what you would see with any other like winger on a team. Like he's an absolute machine. Um like people like that are just amazing fascinating you have to start looking into how to clone these people won't you absolutely we'll have to look at trying to clone people like him yeah because he's he's, uh, he's doing his job in green and in blue at the moment so take me back to, to 2012 when you were kind of getting things off the ground uh, how did you make those uh, those baby steps um Jesus I actually don't even know at this point it was uh <laughs> It was it was a lot of different things. So I had finished my research, uh, my master's research in Leinster. Um, I was very passionate about this. I actually asked them to support us building out this product internally at Leinster, and they didn't have the funding to do it at the time. And I kind of sat on it then for about a year. I learned how to actually code myself. Um, so I actually wrote up the the very first version through like VBA code, and. It was just so limited and we were very, very, very limited in terms of what we, we, where we knew we wanted to get the system to, where we knew we wanted the capabilities to be for what we were actually doing in Leinster and it just wasn't there. So um, I entered a pitch competition with Enterprise Ireland and um, was lucky enough that actually we, we received the funding off the back of the pitch competition. So we, I think we were one of two, either two or three startups that were selected um, and that was it. They gave us the initial funding and... By, by its very nature, it's a type of business, I'm guessing, that it takes a lot of R&D up front and it's going to take a long time to actually start seeing money coming in. And it's still, like, it's still, we're still, like, really, really intensive from an R&D perspective because, again, we're trying to we're trying to essentially build a pile of research around both how you optimize human performance, but also how you actually optimize human health. Um, and there are two big topics. And the more we find, the more, you know, the, the more complexity there is and the, the more things you need to factor in and um, the more work that needs to go into it to actually be able to solve the problem. So what, the, what were those hurdles you had to get over in the early days to kind of, well, to keep going? Um, I think, listen, it's always a really, uh, it's always a, a really tough balance between how do you show, let's say, your investors that you can get enough penetration in the market and that teams really believe in this, and get behind it. And then on the other side of that, how do you actually build a product that actually meets the needs of, of your clients? And like, from my perspective, being a, being a nerd and being like a real scientist, I would love just lock me in a room, leave me there for two or three years, don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to go and sell anything, just want to go and build this thing and then we'll come out and bring it out. And obviously, you know, from a, a business perspective, that's just not viable or reasonable. Um, but it means that it's, you know, it's, it's challenging. We have to showcase that this is not just a rugby product. So that's what we were told at the start. Is this just a rugby thing? So then you have to go and actually get yourself into other sports. And then the problem or challenge from a business perspective is that with that is that, well, actually, the types of data that they consume, the questions that they're asking, the problems that they're solving are all completely different than, than the rugby ones. So you're you're talking yourself about yourself there as, as a scientist, a sports scientist, mm -hmm. and earlier as a tech entrepreneur. Yeah. Is it hard to kind of balance the skill sets that are required for, for each of them? 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of them comes a hell of a lot more naturally to me than the other. Which is the scientist <laughs> bit. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, uh, that's that's what I fall back to because that's where my research, that's where my training, that's all my practical experience comes from that. Now, I love the business side of things as well. Um, and I'm really, really growing into that. But it's an area that, you know, after working in Leinster for whatever, seven or eight years, you know, coming and coming straight from college into that, having never been really in the business world before, um, you know, that's something that takes a hell of a lot of work and it's not something that I had any experience with. Mm. And it takes a village to raise a child and, and, and investors to kind of grow a business. So you, you've had some strategic uh, input, haven't you? Yeah, we have. I mean, listen, we've had strategic input on the sports side through some of the, the early stage angel investors like Kevin McLaughlin and Jamie Heaslip who got involved. But we've also had like a hell of a lot of strategic investment through our Series A investor, John Malloy from Blue Run Ventures. He's been absolutely phenomenal for the company, um, him and, and all of his partners at Blue Run. And, you know, coming from, I suppose, the background that I came from and entering the business world, going to, uh, you know, going with a, a, an organization like that who had helped to grow PayPal and helped to grow Waze and, you know, uh, numerous other like really successful and high profile Silicon Valley based um, companies was enormous for us. What was that first meeting like when you met him and knowing what he'd done in, in the past. So when I met him first, actually, I had no idea. Um, so I met him and I was just told he was an, an investor and he was interested in chatting because Jamie Heaslip actually had met him on, uh, he was giving a guided tour of the Aviva Stadium to a, a group of investors and um, John was on the on the trip and he was talking about uh, his his kind of investments and Jamie was, was sharing with him some of the ones that he was into and he said, oh, well, those guys sound interesting. Can you put me in front of them? So I went and met him for lunch the next day and chatted and I had no idea of his background at all. And um, he's a very like unassuming character, you know, good listener and um, sat there taking it all in, expressed some interest, said, yeah, listen, let's keep in touch. And I thought that would kind of be it. And then we, you know, we had some dialogue over a couple of months and then I met him um, maybe three months later over in the UK before the uh, Ireland and England game of Six Nations. <clears throat> and uh, he was there with his, the other partner of Blue Run. And we had a really good conversation. They asked a lot of probing questions. They wanted to understand, you know, where could this get to? How big can it be? You know, can it touch everybody? And um, at the end of the conversation, anyway, they said, yeah, listen, we'd be interested in putting four million into your Series A. And, and I sat there going, hmm, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Yeah, and, but I thought, I kind of thought as well, like they were, you know, blowing a bit of smoke and, and you know, nothing will kind of come of it and sure enough the next week we get a we get a term sheet um sent across by email and and that was the start of it um so listen we there was a hell of a lot of uh, of luck and it was a very different um fundraising process than a lot of companies that i know of over here go through and and that was the conversation that's on a, on a certain level has, has changed your life isn't it it's absolutely changed my life yeah it's changed everything well, you're no longer living life. in dublin are you <laughs> yeah i don't live in dublin uh, i do something completely different for a living um but the experiences that i've had the challenges that i've had to kind of overcome as part of growing this business you know the personal and professional growth that i have had to come through because of this has been amazing um absolutely amazing like completely life-changing um, not just the moving, like the geographical, uh, the geographical life changing, but like um, you know, from a growth perspective, it's been phenomenal for me. So I mean, it's changed the way you work in terms of your approach to to to, to putting in the hours, or what 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 difference has it made for you on a yeah. on a professional level? I think the hour side of thing was never an issue. Like you know, again. <laughs> 
coming from professional sport, people think that you do show up at 10 or, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, people run outside, have a kick around, and then they go home and play PlayStation for the afternoon. And um, I can tell you that it's not like that at all. And in fact, you're generally, most of those guys are in at like 6 a.m. in the morning. They're not leaving till 6 p.m. in the evening. They're gone away traveling at the weekends. Yeah, there's a down day from training during the week. But guess what? All of the guys who aren't playing or all of the guys who are injured, they're in on those days. And then, yeah, oh, well, the holidays are great. You get four or five weeks at the end of the year. Well, all the guys that are injured and are trying to get their place back, they're not going on holidays and they want to stay around. Um, you know, it's, it's hugely time consuming. So I think coming into the professional world, having actually built up that base in Leinster made it a hell of a lot easier. But I think what has been different is, you know, we... It, it was it was a lot more uh, routine in Leinster. There was a game every week, and that game was going to come, and we were going to win or we were going to lose. And 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 you know, I was judged on whether either had players did pick up an injury or whether we got the injured players back out and they could play. But the pressure, from my perspective, was not the same. I'm now judged on: Are we making enough money? Are we like growing enough clients? Are we developing technology that really will change the world? Can we showcase that this is just not just a sports product? Can we showcase it's not just a rugby product? Can I? manage all of the issues to come up with employees can i hire the right team can i you know can i uh, showcase that that essentially there's there's an enormous platform here to really change the way health you know health is managed globally fascinating stuff Stephen thank you very much stay with us because still to come on the Architects of Business I'll be asking Stephen about the challenges of being a CEO and about his views on how aspiring athletes train you're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists Get in touch. Mail us on the Architects of Business at Joe.ie. How do you manage, Stephen? Um, you know, balancing your your personal life now with your professional life, or <laughs> is there a balance at all? Uh, listen, I, I try to seek balance. I don't I don't have superb balance at the moment. If I'm blatantly honest, but um, that's fine. Like that's 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 my expectation. This is a startup business. This is we're trying to achieve high growth and high velocity. Um, and you know i'm I'm all in on this so uh, you know I, I never expected to walk into this and to be going into work at 9 a.m in the morning and going home at 4 30 and then putting my feet up and you know having long weekends and bank holidays um so how i manage it right now is that you know i, I try to go hard in all directions so uh it's you know get get to work early get everything done you know try and get out of there get home and i try to get home and see my kids every day and get to put them to bed um and then you know when i am off and i'm not traveling you know my time with them is is the most important thing to me so um i think one of one of the things that makes it easier actually about being in the states is that when i do get back there we don't have you know a huge amount of friends or family based there so we're not getting pulled and dragged in 10 different directions so actually when i am there i get to concentrate my time with them and make the most of it and it's different I guess when it's when, when it's your business I mean it's one thing having you know a boss living in an ivory tower telling you to come in early and stay back late and you don't feel like you're benefiting from it but you're, you're building something here that you're going to benefit from in the long term yeah I mean listen it's it's all it's or nothing. a different energy I guess yeah it's a completely different energy and listen it's it's we had a winner we lose so, you know, I'm I'm under uh, no illusions about that. And I understand that the responsibility is on my shoulders as the CEO of the company, as a founder of the company, our success, essentially, it's it's not entirely, you know, I'm not the one doing all of the work, but essentially the responsibility of whether we win or lose in this comes down to me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's relatively serious. <laughs> I mean, how have you uh, gotten into the role of, of, of CEO? I mean, how does it feel? Um, 
I'm guessing you've been having to pick up your skills as you go along, as opposed to someone else who, um, you know, is catapulted in with a lifetime of experience, of experience in business and, and, and managing people and managing a company. Yeah, listen, it's challenging. It's uh, it's challenging. It's really, really exciting. It's very high pace. Um, I think there's a huge amount of responsibility. And I think, um, again, John Malloy has been pivotal in my, in my role as CEO and my development as CEO. And I think in the early days when I moved over, I was like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. So, you know, the great days I would get really excited about and the bad days I would get very upset about. And, you know, they, they hurt. And I, I wore, you know, I certainly wore my heart on my sleeve. And I think one of the things that he's tried to coach me through over the years is actually to be a lot more steady. And as, you know, the captain of the ship, essentially, you need to be because everybody else responds to you too. So I'm a very high energy person. So I bring I bring a hell of a lot of uh, enthusiasm and excitement every day. And I just try to maintain that all the time and, uh, you know, to try and just even maintain more of an even keel. So what were those high and low points? High points is what, signing up a new team? Yeah, or? high points are like, you know, signing up new teams, um, you know, bringing in great staff members, making breakthroughs with the technology bringing in more capital you know the the things that that we gauge ourselves on every day but then you know we've had we've had low points where essentially we you know there'd be huge clients that we'd be trying to attract and maybe we don't close a deal you know or maybe we we lose a deal to to some other organization and uh, you know where we we believe that you know we're the best fit for that organization um and things like that are you know things like that are really really hard and really and, hard to deal with and does everyone else in the in, in the company kind of feel those highs and lows in the same way that you yeah. do or is it just um because you're the founder the ceo the idea man that you feel more no i think we all we all heard i think that we have a very very tight group of people who really are bought into what we're doing and i think you know that that really you know hurts them and i think other things from my perspective like we got a lot of things wrong um, you know along the journey and you know we we hired maybe the wrong people and then we had people who left the organization and things like that and those things actually you know they were they're growing pains um but they were part of us trying to figure out okay well who are we as an organization what are we trying to achieve what types of you know talent do we actually want in here and why and what type of people what type of organization are we trying to create what type of culture and environment do we want for our staff and our team so have you had lessons to learn kind of about how to, to, to manage talent and manage people and get the right people in the right places? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> that's probably the area that if I look back on that I got the most wrong in the early stages was people. Um, I always had a belief that hire the, you know, everybody says hire the best, hire the best. So I always thought, well, hiring the best is like essentially going and getting the smartest people in the room. And if we're trying to solve these really nerdy scientific problems, we need to get the absolute smartest people in these core strategies or core areas. And um, essentially I was wrong. Like it was absolutely 100% wrong because, you know, whilst we, we hired some really smart people, none of them could actually work together. And, you know, they were really smart, but they actually didn't really care enough about what we were doing. And one of the learnings that I took from, you know, from working in Leinster was that, well, when I, when I first arrived there, they absolutely had the talent capital to be able to go and actually win, but they actually hadn't brought them together in a cohesive enough manner. Um, so is, that, is that about the emotional intelligence of the individuals or about the, the kind of the, the coach who rallies them and brings them together? 
I, I think it's probably both, but it's also like, you know, having a shared mission. And I know people talk about it, like having your mission and your vision statements. So like, I don't care about mission or vision statements. What I do care about is, does everybody here in the room understand the direction that we're going and where we want to be? Does everybody here believe that that's the most important thing that they can do? And are they all bought into that? Or, or you know, does everybody, is everybody really on board with that or not? And does that mean something to them? And do they understand how can they actually influence that and what piece of that is going to be them and I think if you can't if they don't have that if they don't if that's actually not interesting to them <laughs> and if they don't really care enough or if they essentially if they don't see that there's a piece of that for them and they can't actually contribute and move the needle in that then it's pointless mm. I just wonder are there any uh, lessons from you know the, the work that you do preventing injury on the sports pitch uh, in in the corporate world you know in terms of working too hard or not working hard enough or pushing people too hard or, you know, giving them some time off. Yeah, listen, I, I think there absolutely is. Just at, at this point in time, it's probably, it's hard to, you know, it's probably hard to understand that. And I think what you'll find is that it's exactly the same as sport as well and that, well, injuries don't happen the same for everybody. So actually, you know, wh why, you know, why was Jamie Heaslip tried his career so robust? And then why do you look at somebody like Luke Fitzgerald who actually, you know, looked very, very different? And the reason for that is that not that one of them is strong and one of them is weak. Basically, they're different. Um, and you need to understand that. And, and that they're the types of tools that we're trying to build to actually understand those differences. Mm. Um, I want to talk a, a bit about, I suppose, the, the wider field in which you're operating, you know, the, the, the professional sports world. Uh, you've come through the whole kind of, I'm guessing, Dublin schools, uh, rugby leagues and the like. Um, what do you think about how, what you're seeing in terms of how hard uh, young lads in general are being, are being pushed? Yeah, well, I didn't come through the Dublin, no? the Dublin school system. I came through. I went to a country school, so I went to to Ross Gray, Sussex College, Ross Gray. Ah. So I was yeah more of more of the uh, the mucker the mucker type scenario. But you'll know but, the scene. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we did we did play schools rugby and we're involved in that. Um, listen, it's it's. Uh, it was serious back then. It's uh, very serious today, and it's extremely professional. Um, I actually got asked this question by somebody else over the last couple of weeks. Do you think that's really bad? I actually don't think it's bad at all. Like, there's guys that at that age know that they want to go and actually potentially be professional athletes and probably know that they're good enough to be professional athletes. And for them to start their journey and start that training then... I think that's fine. Like, of course, there has to be a balance struck with actually getting like a good education and ensuring that they do that. But by putting professional systems in place to make sure that their athletic development is managed really appropriately and, and carefully, I think that's a super thing for kids. Are the things you see people doing at the gym that you think that's a mistake? I hate going to the gym. Yeah, <laughs> I hate going to a commercial gym because uh, <laughs> it frustrates me <laughs> seeing what, what we see. And I, I think, you know, I... I feel like the fitness industry is it can be really good and really bad or the health you know fitness and health industry can be really really good and really bad and I think there's like like any industry there's great trainers and there's really poor trainers and I go to the gym you know and and see some things that are recurring there and think god those somebody should help that person and somebody should should give them a better way and again I think that you know, technology actually can be a vehicle for things like that. And over the years, as we democratize this down and bring it to you and me, we actually can be a forum for that and we can be a channel for that and we can help to actually educate people and help them to understand why and, and really help them to actually achieve their mission, which maybe, you know, the reason they signed up to the gym is maybe to lose weight. Maybe it's, you know, to get fitter. Maybe it's to not have a heart attack. Maybe it's to whatever it may be. 
but if we can help them to do that and do that in you know in a in a decent way and also take the stress away from me when i go to the gym so i don't have to see that that would be great and is there something i mean are you looking at something that could like you know fit in our pockets or fit on an app that's or, or is there any substitute for you know do i need to turn up at your lab and you have a look at me doing some movements and what have you now we we believe our technology can be used on somebody's mobile phone so you know today you'll you pull your phone out of your pocket and you know whether it's you know s health or whether it's apple health that you open up you can you can look at the number of steps that you've taken you can look at your heart rate you can look at your steep or your sleep you can look at the number of flights climbed things like this that is exactly the same as what we see or what we saw in professional sports 10 years ago they were they were putting those units on their back they're running around with that but we don't need a unit on our back we have it in our pocket you know we're carrying it around with us every day and people are using multiples of different types of wearable sensors they're tracking everything in the same way that that professional athletes do so there is no reason why we can't do exactly the same thing that we do in elite sports um, with you know with consumers. The only significant difference today is that within the elite model, you have professional coaches, professional strength and conditioning coaches, you have professional you know physios, things like that. Consumers don't have that. So it means that instead of just serving back up, hey, this is what we see in the data, you have to serve up, hey, this is what we see, this is what you should do next, and here's your menus. Essentially, this is this is what it looks like. You choose. And that's not hard. Like there's work involved to get to that point, but that's that's not violently different to what we're doing in in the elite model today. And um, back in the professional sphere, I mean, one of the big uh, injuries that people are talking about a lot, particularly in rugby and in American football, is is, is concussion. Uh, I mean, is there anything in your data that talks about the the likelihood of somebody suffering a concussion? No, I think, listen, one of the biggest challenges with concussion today is is diagnosis um, and really understanding concussion. So it's difficult to diagnose because it manifests itself in multiples of different ways. So it's not as, as easy. That's why they, they take them off the field and have 10 minutes. It's not as easy as just saying somebody's concussed or not. And even when they take them off, they're actually, they're generally unsure. They're looking for telltale signs. They can't make a clear definition or a diagnosis. And then one of the other issues with, with concussion is return to play or, or rehabilitation from it because it affects you in multiples of different ways so it can affect your cognition it can affect you you know you can have symptomatics or like symptoms that essentially you know headaches and dizziness and nausea and things like that it can also affect your vestibular system and balance um so there's there's multiples of different threads for how concussion affects you and you don't have to have them all you don't have to have symptoms of them all you can have one symptom the problem is there isn't a clear and accurate way to test all those different types of like of potential problems so Right now, from a causative factor and understanding why do they occur, <clears throat> the data would not be strong enough because we actually don't have a clear enough definition or diagnosis. And what about the, the the reactive approach? You know, taking someone off for ten minutes and monitoring them is that is it enough? Listen, I think uh, it's it's better than what was out there before. And I think I uh, over the last couple of week, weeks, I've actually met with two to three different companies who are probing on different areas ar- around concussion and research around it. So I think. Everybody is moving at it pretty fast. Everybody understands the importance of it. Um, I think some of the things that we have seen that's quite interesting in the data is that we've actually seen that athletes who have been concussed and diagnosed with a concussion actually have somewhere between two to three times or, or two to three times more likely to suffer a soft tissue injury within the next 12 to 18 months. And that tells you something about what goes on from like a vestibular coordination balance perspective because 
or, or even reaction and coordination because why are those athletes then suffering soft tissue injuries? Is it because they actually don't, their coordination and reactions are not as good because they're impaired? Um, and they're things that I'm really interested in because I'd like to see the research start to support that and help us to understand, well, should that person be back out there? Is there something wrong with their coordination? Can we actually rehabilitate that better? Can we prevent them from picking up those injuries because of that? Is it Mother Nature's way of telling you actually give it a rest for a while? <laughs> um, no, I hope no. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't delve into science or data. Yeah. Um, listen, w- what stage do you think kind of Kitman is, is at on its, on its journey now? I mean, you're, what's it now, six years in existence two years in the US is that right we're uh, yeah we're about five and a half years old as a company um, we I moved over to the US three and a half years ago um, but you know we moved over there we barely had a product at that point in time you know we were very much uh, early stage and bootstrap before that well, listen, we're still young. What we want to do is extremely ambitious. Um, we have huge vision for where this technology can go, for what it can actually do, for how it can actually support people. So, you know, I, I'd like to think that we're still in the, we're still in the toddler phase. We're just actually, we're just, we're just starting to, to work out how to walk. And, and you know, listen, it's a, I, I, don't, I don't mean to say that in that I should discount the success that we've had. It's been absolutely amazing. And I think if you had told me you know, three or four years ago before I moved to the States that we'd now be working with, you know, 150 teams across so many leagues, I would have bitten your hand off for that. But I also now can see the power of what we're doing and the application that that can have across global sport, but also how that can really go and change the way we think about like digital health. And I'm just so excited about where where this can get to. Is there a, a line? I mean, there's you're not making money yet, isn't that isn't that right? Yeah, well, we're not trying to like we're we're not trying to be profitable at the moment. We're you know our focus is very much on innovation because the you know essentially what we're trying to solve the problem we're trying to solve is so big that we can either say okay we'll try and achieve that over a hundred years and never actually do it and we could you know bootstrap the company keep it you know we could be profitable if we wanted to be, but. It's like my mentality is go hard or go home. But you're talking about profitability, like it's some kind of like a nuisance thing, like you don't have to worry about it ever. I mean, yeah. is there not a plan? <laughs> is there not a plan for it at some point? Yeah, is yeah, it- there absolutely is. But like, so let's say we just wanted to stay and just be an elite sports company and just work with professional sports teams. Yeah, we could turn, we could be profitable. Like we could cut half of our staff and be profitable right now. And like, what the product that we've built is probably good enough to support that for a period of time. But that's not. But that's not what our mission is. That's not what our goal is. We want to go and transform the way that people think about improving performance, improving health. And we want to take that to a, a far wider scale. So we're, we're investing in people. We're investing in technology. Is that one of the, the key differences between a kind of a, an average business person and a tech entrepreneur? That kind of attitude, that profitability doesn't matter. Um, is that one of the things you've had to learn it, since going to California? That, yeah, it's not that it doesn't matter. Yeah, it has. Like it's one of the things I've had to learn is that it's not always about that. It's not always about getting there to profitability. In fact, investors look at you. If I went to an investor today and said, hey, we're looking for X amount of money and we're going to turn profitable in the next couple of months, they probably actually wouldn't be that excited about it. Like they want to see a way for them to get more, invest more equity and capital like into a company to get a large enough shareholding. And they want to see that this company is not, is not going to move like this you know, and be okay that it's actually going to go and skyrocket and that the market potential is enormous. And, and that's why it's different. And it is hard to wrap, wrap your head around in the beginning. For me, it certainly was. It's like, so we just keep spending more and more and more. Um, but the concept is that, you know, where we're doing that, we're investing in all of that because we know once we get to this inflection point, then it's going to move and that's going to be transformative for us. Um, 
Hmm. Is that one of the things you've had to learn then along the way? Kind of, is that one of the key differences between the the the, the Silicon Valley business attitude and the, the Irish business attitude? Yeah, I think uh, listen, there's there's lots of differences, but I think you know that's that's certainly one. Um, I think they're very gung ho, like their mentality is like, yeah, let's go at this and do it, and we're a little bit more like. Let's take it slowly and let's, you know, let's go and like, we'll grab that one and then we'll grab that one and then we'll, we'll keep building. And they're just like, like they just run at something and move at it. And I think, um, you know, one of, one of the, the, the other big, big learnings for me is that I think we're a little bit more humble. We're a little bit more apologetic about, you know, how we actually approach business and, you know, how, how we actually, you know, how we bring ourselves in and present ourselves in meetings and things. And I think uh, one of the things I've certainly learned from America is that, like, they have no problem, like, standing up and bashing their chest and telling you how good they are. And I think, you know, there's obviously limits um, mm-hmm. to, uh, to to that. And there's, you know, there's, a, there's an other side of the fulcrum. But I think uh, as Irish business people, we should be a hell of a lot prouder about you know who we are and what we're doing and we should have no problem coming in and telling people you know how good we are and how amazing what we do is um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that um, even uh, if your mates back home think you're a bit of a oh yeah they, listen my friends from here will give me abuse no matter what I do um, so they might as well like they might as well do it about something different these days so that, that's they might fine. as well be abusing your success as your failure Ex- exactly yeah. yeah so I think like not not being apologetic in, in coming in and saying that we provide the best technology on the planet that, you know, that our technology actually does work. And that's actually amazing that it's not, you know, it's not ideas. It's not, um, you know, it's not marketing and PR. That's actual fact and it's not opinion. And I like, I, you know, I feel great about the fact that we can say that now. And I am, you know, I'm not shy <laughs> about, about telling people that. Stephen Smith, best of luck with the future of your journey with Kitman Labs. Thank you very much Thank you. for talking to us. Thanks for joining us today on The Architects of Business. Our programme was produced by Patrick Hawhey and all the rest of the great team here at Joe. Thanks too to our sponsor, EY Entrepreneur of the Year. You can go to eoy.ie to learn more about the programme and the finalists for this year. Don't miss out on future editions by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, on Podcast Republic and on YouTube. And while you're there, you can check out Joe's other podcasts too, including the Hard Yards on Rugby, the GAA Hour and our movie show, The Big Review Ski. Bye-bye. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.